And we're back. Trap Show Podcast on a Thursday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. We will get to Dr. Brett McCabe here momentarily. This is a great podcast, folks. You're not going to want to miss this one. Really good discussion about his players. Number one player in the world, John Rahm, who he works with. Sam Burns, who's in the field this week. And uh, really a very thoughtful and interesting conversation about mental health and where we are with that, not just on the PGA Tour, but also uh, in this country right now. So don't miss that. Quick announcement here before we get to him. It's here, folks. Travis Fulton Golf membership has been launched. Go to travisfultongolf.com backslash membership. You'll see two options. You'll see the blue and you will see the green. There's two options there. All new training programs. Remember, I'm all about getting you training programs that you can do on your own time, affordable, non-intimidating, great info, right order. They got complete context. We have tested this over the last 12 months. A lot of you listening right now may own one of those. I've reshot them all. I've added new ones. There's more to come. I'm really excited about it. These training programs, I think, are the way of the future. I would love for you to be a member and go through those as I cover all 14 clubs. In addition, there's online lesson options if that's something you want to do in conjunction with those. We also got brand new for 2022 in the membership, Stripe Show Podcast exclusives. Going to be doing deep dives, spinoff of these podcasts that we're doing on a daily basis but more in-depth X's and O's with coaches, with players that will be a part of the membership as well. We'll be adding at least one a month, probably two. So you're not going to want to miss that. There's going to be all kinds of other video instruction. I have a full plan to really make this the most unique membership option that is out there. Now, in addition to the instruction, which already makes it quite unique, is you're going to get the weekly free plays bets, DFS, uh, straight line betting, wins, top 40, top 20, head-to-head. You know how we do it. You'll be getting those free plays as well as part of the membership. So we're really excited about the gambling piece being in there also. I've got a great team put together that will be, will be providing that. Monthly giveaways, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a great value. I'm really proud of it. I'd love to have you become a member. Go check it out. Travis Fulton Golf backslash membership. Blue option, green option. Love to have you. I'll take care of you. If you like my, you like my info, you like the way I do things, you're going to love this. Let's get the Dr. Brett McKinn. And let's bring him in now. One of the top sports psychologists in the game. He's back. Round two on the Stripe Show podcast. Dr. Brett McCabe. How you doing, buddy? And I'm good. Good to see you. And I don't know about the intro top. I don't know what that means, but uh, I like what I do. And I get to have a lot of fun doing what I do and and uh, get to celebrate with some great guys. And Well, I've known you for a long time. I'm comfortable saying that. Um, I mean, you do work with the number one player in the world, John Rahm, so that's worth something. You also work with Sam Burns, who's playing this week, which people know on the podcast, that's worth something because I love Sam Burns and you've done a great job with him and I love seeing him play great golf. I want to talk to you about Sam here in a second, but first we got to start with Tiger Hero World Challenge. It's great to see him in the press conference, his interview with Henny um, on Golf Digest. He looks like he's in good spirits. 
Um, he's laughing, smile. It's good to see, right? And mm-hmm. the video last night on the tour, he's hitting shots. I think Tiger's playing us a little bit, Doc. I think he's like, okay, I'm going to set the expectations really, really low, but I'm going to over-deliver, right? That's kind of just a smart tactic in itself, isn't it? I think, yeah. You know, I think the thing with Tiger, and I don't know Tiger. I've never spent any time with him, so I'm not going to sit here and be an insider or anything like that. And And I'm also not a guy who... I would say happily, I'm not the guy who goes in fanboys people and sits up and talks to them. Right. And one of the players tells me, he's like, Hey, is your first year on tour? I said, no, it's my eighth. Oh my God. I've never seen you. So that's just kind of my, so I'm not sitting here, you know, fluffing feathers here when I have to say this, obviously a huge Tiger fan. I've been a huge Tiger fan since he was in, you know, came into the game. I think when you have an athlete who's had um, the career trajectory and the art that he has had, um, in my mind, the greatest player to ever play the game. It's a great debate. Nobody's going to change my mind. You can send me any DM you want. Um, I think Michael Jordan's a better player than um, LeBron James. Send me all the DMs you want. Um, LeBron's, you know, wears the logo of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan doesn't wear the logo of LeBron. Um, and so, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where, as a as a player of Tiger's stature that has had numerous issues with physical health and, and we can dive into as to why at another time, but whenever an athlete is coming back from injury, there's a psychological component. And one of the things I think that happened in the last round of this is Tiger reconnected to probably the joy and the passion of the game, which was the, the interactions, the communications, which he probably never was all that involved in the first place, but there was a change that happened in that president's cup where it really seemed like he was back in the locker room and he was back in the situations of being in a really good frame of mind and hanging out with guys and doing things like that. And I think what, what happened in that was he got back to the joy of the game. And, and I think we saw the success of that with him being able to play him having the fun and the enjoyment of what he was doing and, and really coming into a situation of, you know, being a guy who is going to try to see what he can create, not, not anything else of, you know, what am I, you know, what, what is my legacy? I mean, obviously I think he's chasing the number of victories and chasing the number of, um, you know, chasing, you know, all the, all the, you know, the different things that are there. Chasing um, Jack. Chasing Jack, chasing, yeah. you know, you know, his own legacy. But I think what happened is when you look at his, his children, the game, what brought him into the game, we always reconnect at some point to what brought us in the game in the first place. Uh-huh. And I think for him, that's obviously very critical. And I think he is in a situation now where, okay, here we go again. Let me see what I can do within the game. And anything I get now is Lanyap. Anything I get now is great. Um, and we're going to go from there. And I think the better that he does in those situations and reminds himself of that, I think we should just all celebrate the fact he's there. I think a lot of people want to get caught up into all the drama surrounding him and what, what's going on there. And that's yeah. great. And, and why don't we just leave that for TMZ? Um, why don't we just refocus on the fact that the greatest player that we've ever seen and that we know is back um, and trying to do things. And yeah. to me, that's all that I care about. Well, I've seen two swings on social media. I saw the one that he posted. I saw the one the tour posted last night. And I, I, I'm in, like, I don't, he's, yeah. hitting, a, he's hitting a fairway wood off the, <clears throat> off the ground with, you know, reasonable speed yep. and like, all right. I mean, yeah, you got to get the stamina back up, but man, he's, it looks like he's moving pretty darn well to me. Well, um, I, I, yeah, I agree thought, with Tiger. You know, I would have thought 
I mean, who knows, right? When this all happened, who knew? I mean, I didn't think, I, from what I had heard from physicians and surgeons who specialize in the foot and things and the rumors going around, I mean, who would have ever thought he would have come back? He also did win a U.S. Open with, with a fracture in his leg, which is pretty remarkable. Um, it, it, it's not like playing football. I mean, look, Rocky Blyer played in the NFL with a foot that was almost blown off in Vietnam mm-hmm. War. So at, one thing I know about athletes and having been fortunate enough to be one, not because I had that level of mental fortitude, but more along the lines of the fact that I was around a lot of guys that had it is you never question an athlete's will to get back doing what they need to do. And I think that's what we just need to celebrate with Tiger. Let's not add anything else other than the fact of it's kind of like when Motley Crue gets back together or the Eagles get back together, they weren't what they want. They may not be once what they once were, but let's celebrate the fact of what they are right now. And the fact that we're getting to enjoy seeing them play their music and their, and their sport and their game. There you go. Yeah. Well said. I I, I love that. And, and he, he's going to be back. He's going to play a limited schedule. There's, there's no doubt, but I, he'll be, he'll be playing in, in some tournaments. It might be colonial. It might be Harbor town because he can't hit it as far, but anyway, we'll get to that yeah. when it, when it happens. Um, let's talk about another guy who, who might be texting you right now from Bahamas, Sam Burns, who's playing. Um, you know, Sam, look, people know my audience. They know Sam Burns because I've been talking about him for two years um, out of LSU. Here's what I see, Doc, with Sam. Um, I see a great relationship with his coach, Brad Poland, who I'm a fan of. And I think they have a, a, a really strong dynamic and relationship, one that's been together for a long time. Um. I see a really good driver of the golf ball that has adequate distance, which I think is important on the PGA tour. I see a great iron player, which could be even more important. I see a great putter like, and I, and I'm not afraid to use the word great when it comes to his ball striking and his putting now short game could use relatively speaking, I think some, some, a little work. And I know they're working on that, but he checks the boxes for length iron play and putting when you work with Sam, what can you tell our audience? What do you see um, from that athlete mental side that now has yielded a couple wins? And this guy, I mean, his trajectory right now, you can see is going straight up. Well, I started with Sam a year ago and it was right. It was in Napa last year. We kind of started talking officially. The first event we worked at was uh, Houston open. And so it's been an amazing year. I mean, he's sitting in 17th, 18th in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, he's starting to realize and manifest what he wants to become. And what what I love about Sam is he is an avid learner. He he trusts his coach immensely in Brad Pullen. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Pullen is obviously a under-the-radar guy. I mean, he wasn't even listening to the Golf Digest top teacher in the state of Louisiana. Um, he wasn't? no. Him or John Tillery from Georgia. So, um, wow. you know, you look at that with Brad and and you say, well, why is that the case? Well, he is, he's brought multiple players to great levels. I mean, his Turk Pettit, who is the NCAA champ, is one of his students as well. And, you know, you look at what Brad does. Brad has a great relationship with his players. Sam lives a couple doors down from Brad. They're very close. They're like brothers. And um, the... But what I see from a mental side of Sam is he's an athlete that comes from other sports. He approaches the game of golf in an athletic mentality. Um, One of the things that I've always worked with him is getting him to understand that success comes by the more experiences you get there. Winning is a a skill. And 
for a lot of times athletes early in their careers can win because of their talent differential. But once you get out on tour, we're never going to see a talent differential that will guarantee wins every time. Now, the top players in the world, when they have their best, they have much more increased odds of winning, but it's not a walkover. And I think Tiger was the last player that did that, where you could say there was a significant talent differential from the vast majority of the field. Sam has, you know, Sam is playing in an era right now, and it'll continue to get harder where there are some really, really phenomenal players out there. And, and so what he's had to learn is the way that he wins and what is his process to win. And a lot of kids, as they come up on the tour, they throw things against the wall and say, okay, that's how I win. And they win because of statistics. They win because they're good. I mean, they're phenomenal. But Sam's done it differently. And, and I've, I've gotten him around some older players that have, you know, been great role models for him. Um, and I want them to learn to win. And I want him to learn to win. And I want him to continue to put himself in position. I'll give you a perfect example of the maturity of Sam Burns. It was the Houston Open this year. Sam started the week, was struggling with a little bit of some grip change that they were working on. And you know, he was kind of just there and he was, it wasn't a special week by any means. He was just plodding along. I think it was on Saturday morning. He really, the, the, that nine, he just really struggled with his grip. And then finally said, okay, I can get back to what I'm trusting. Played really well in the afternoon and um, was a, you know, a double bogey on 18 from a really funky lie that it just, it was like he said, it was just an unfortunate situation. Uh, he made a double there, which knocked him out of second place. So what what I've worked with Sam on is to realize that winning is not always hoisting the trophy. Winning is is getting the most out of the week that you can. Something I you know have observed with John or Billy or some of the other players I work with, and I want him to embrace that. And he is doing a brilliant job. He is very process oriented. He has a tremendous caddy in Travis Perkins, who's a, mm-hmm. a, a veteran and a former player on tour. So he's got a team around him that's that's great. He's got a tremendous family base. He's got a great wife. I mean, he checks the boxes. Now, what I see about Sam in the futures is a kid who, a young man who has the potential to continue to grow into what he, you know, a guy who doesn't have to have his A game to win. And because he's going to stay around until he gets on a run. And the more that we can stay around and get on a run, the better we're going to be. Yeah, that's Absolutely. well said. I, I think you make some good points there. Um, I was writing a couple of them down here that, you know, you have to win the way you know how to win, right? Mm-hmm. You just don't throw things against against the wall. And there's there's an art to that. It takes a little bit of time too, I would yeah. imagine, for a lot of players. But I, I think as you say that and I think about it, and I watch Sam play, I can I can yeah, I think he you can see that happening, that maturity. Um for sure happening with Sam. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, he's not done with two wins. This is, you know, there's, it's like, it's hard to win. We know that, but when you hit it as good as he does and you putt as good as he does, and now you're, you know, the mental side is in place. Like he's a physical athlete. Um, Man, the hunger seems like it's there. And there's just like this, correct me if I'm wrong. Is there, it just seems like there's this little bit of a little dog in him too. And no, 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 no no doubt. I mean, look, he is, (laughs) he is a competitor through and through and, you know, he wants to get in the middle. He wants to compete. You know, I love it when we read the betting lines and, and the experts writers on tour have not even listed him. Um, You know, it was probably a, 
matchup. He was a reason, a matchup away from being on the World Cup, and I think really he should have been on the World Cup. But I think it was a matchup issue. Yeah, I think it was a matchup issue, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's fine. That's what coaches are there for, and that they get the right to pick that. And obviously, it works. I'm not. I'm not complaining. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I'll never be in a position again where somebody I'm waiting on a pick, and that's the competitive right. nature of him. Is. Yep. And so I think what we what I want to do is is with him is not place any kind of more pressure on him. I mean, he obviously is somebody who's getting a lot of attention now, and and you know I don't want to burden him with the next next big thing. I think let's just celebrate the fact that he's learning how to win. Look, and I think, I think for our listeners to know winning is a skill that you have to really refine. This happens in every sport, right? We can watch college football coaches come to, you know, come into taking over a job and they've got to teach an entire culture of winning. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we'll use an example right now as we're getting ready for the SEC championship when we record this, you got, you know, Georgia and Alabama, Georgia is an immensely talented team this year they have not won those games very, you know, when it's been in that situation, they're having to learn and make this weekend that they break that seal. Um, and I, I was on a program, you know, in my own play where winning was a learned skill. We were taught how to win. We were taught what it took to win. We were taught what it took to sacrifice to win. Well, that's what players on tour have to do, right? There's a lot of players who backdoor top tens, but never really get in the heat of the moment. And they never really learned how to be at the top of the mountain. I think a lot of people earlier in the season, and and I saw some criticism by some people in the fact that Sam was in the lead a lot and dropped out of the lead. But the reason for that was he was continuing to go deeper and deeper in tournaments, holding the lead later and later in bigger and bigger events. He started getting more and more comfortable with having the lead. And we've, mm-hmm. we identified a couple small things and it really worked in his favor. When he won in Tampa, he had an absolute brilliant caddy move where it was a par five where the adrenaline, he wanted to go for it. And Travis, his caddy said, no, we're going to lay up to a hundred yards on a par five. You're out of, you're in the fairway, but you're out of position. And he stuffed it to a foot. Okay. The natural mentality of a young gun was get up and hit a high cut three wood that would have been out of position if not in trouble. And the brilliance of Sam is he listened to his caddy. So winning is a skill and, and that's what he's doing. And I think people have to realize that in everything we do, we have to learn to win. And, you know, so we'll see. Uh, you know, I'm just excited to see what he's doing, but you're right. One of the things that is very underrated, you know, people talk about his distance or his ball striking. He's an incredible putter. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, oh, yeah. Oof, no, I was taught him to be on the Ryder Cup. I thought he should have been the final pick, but anyway, um, let's, let's move on to just a, a, a different topic here. One that, um, I think is more in the forefront in just general discussion, which I think is a good thing. Perhaps one of the great things about social media, I think is you see athletes and others being more transparent about mental health. And so it is more of a discussion. You know, you've been out there on tour a lot. I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on how much, mental health is being discussed, not just with, you know, your players, we don't have to use examples, but you're out there, you hear discussion, like how much more of it is the forefront mental health discussion with players say versus five, 10 years ago, because I know the tour they're taking steps internally to provide that support to players. There's going to be more of that coming out internally with employees um, but where, where is it right now going into 2022, those discussions, mental health out in front with these players? 
One thing I would love to do, because I know you have a connection to PGA Tour, is I'd really challenge them to give us a spot in the clubhouses to meet with our players on site. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, because that way I don't have to meet with them and have mental health discussions on the range or at a coffee mm-hmm. shop. Um, anyway, that's that's an off-topic thing. Um, the, the Look, Bubba Watson um, brilliantly came out and shared his story and his journey. Bubba is one of the most misunderstood people out there. Um, and I think we saw it early. He is an absolute charm of a guy. Yes, people will have interactions with people, but I don't like to judge people off one or two interactions, um, particularly when they're doing their job and other people are trying to get you know autographs or something like that. Um, Bubba's story and his book up and down are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Matthew Wolf talking about it. Chris Kirk talking about his recovery. Billy Horschel talking about his wife's recovery. Um, where it's no longer taboo. And it should never have been taboo, but we, we, we grew up in a generation where mental health was maybe seen as a sign of weakness or, or they're damaged goods. If you know, they're not strong mentally. Right. Well, let's not forget what athletes of the past used to do. You know, they, they drank it away. They smoked it away. They drugged it away. Uh, or they, you know, cavorted it away. They, they went out and they, they buried it and they suffered and destroyed their lives around it. And we didn't see that. Right. Because we didn't have 24 seven access to their lives. Uh, Mickey Mantle being a great one, you know, thought he was going to die young and he became a raging alcoholic and ended up needing a liver transplant. Um, and so the mental health side is so critical. There, there is no separation between body and mind in the way that we look at performance. They're hundred percent integrated. And it's very, very difficult for athletes to compete at the highest level against the best players in the world when their mental health is suffering. But the game itself has a major burden on their mental health because it's a game of feeling very far away of it, not having a lot of validation, and sometimes feeling like you're not worthy of the success or the failures you're experiencing. And so as a player, you know, we, I've been fortunate enough as a clinical psychologist to really spend a lot of time and understanding in the, the clinical aspects of players, but also to give them the support to realize that they are allowed to speak about the things that they feel and experience without judgment within a safe environment. And that's what I think makes me different from other psych- you know, sports psychologists who don't have a clinical background. You know, I've spent years and done, you know, I'm licensed in, in a lot of the other factors where that's very, very important to me. It's been very important to me since I started. Some of the fact is I've struggled with anxiety my entire life. It's made me who I am. It's the insecurities that I have drive me. Um, and and so understanding that and understanding why players struggle and what are the the triggers for players and help them realize that, you know what? What I find is most players will come to me and say, Doc, you know, I I, I bet you've never heard this before. And I always tell people, don't ever challenge a psychologist like that, because trust me, I've heard it. You've heard it. And I've heard it deeper than you can ever imagine. You you, you get desensitized as a psychologist. You can't make us blush. You know, people try all the time in clinical settings. You just can't do it because we've heard it all. And, And so what people have to realize is that the experience of the human experience is all about suffering and struggle and the grind. There's really very few times where we live in a place of bliss and happiness because the mind will not stay content and happy there. So we, we move outside of those and we push our limits. And, and so you take an athlete and you say, all I want to do is be on the PGA tour. Well, then soon it's, I want to be, I want to keep my card or I want to compete in majors or now you start, and I think people also have to remember, as glorious as it looks in flying the G5s and going all over the world, a lot of these players, men and women, 
are in hotel rooms seven days a week. And you add in the COVID factor where mm. there was an essential isolation that occurred when they went on the roads where they couldn't interact with others when they went back to the hotel. And they were stuck in a hotel room by themselves for 10, 11 hours a day. There's only so much streaming Netflix and Yellowstones and things like that that you can watch, right? And so you, you, but you have to chase it. You have to work it. And I know there are traveling salespeople out there and I know there are people out there that do really tough jobs. One thing I'll always tell somebody is struggle and pain is always relative and personal. It's not transferable. It's not comparable. Um, somebody who has an ankle sprain feels like it's the worst thing in the world. And somebody who has, you know, a tumor in their gut doesn't feel any pain at all. But we look at that and say it should be different, right? So, you know, I look at those things and I always tell people, it's like, don't judge when somebody says they're struggling. You know, people, I think some of the feedback on Wolf was, I mean, my God, he's got the world in by the tail. I mean, what's the problem? He's 21 years of age. All of a sudden, he's in a grown-up world. And there are not many people out there on tour his age that understand his stuff. And, oh, yeah, just think, every time he goes out with friends, probably who's picking up the tab? And who's, who's everybody's waiting on him to do something? So the burden is there. It's no different than... You know, people who are going through life and, you know, they're, they're six years out of school and they're sitting in their job and they're like, I'm freaking miserable. You know, the last thing I thought I was going to be doing was spreadsheets all day. This is not what I was in school for. It's not what my professor told me I was going to be doing. Or, you know, I, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. You know, players, there's a lot of expense that goes into it, hiring coaches and things. And yes, they make a lot of money, but they're businesses. And so you take a player who makes a million dollars a year, that's a million dollar revenue business. There are a lot of businesses that make a lot more than a million dollars a year and, and maintain clients and maintain employees, um, but have a lot of revenue sources and have a way to drive business in many different outlets. It's not rela- it's not 100% dependent upon one player to go out there in the battle every week and you miss a short putt and you drop 12 spaces down, right? So I say that from a sense of, Mental health is so critical. And let me, let me also say this, Travis. We are approaching a mental health pandemic in this country. And I know COVID continues to take the, um, the you know, and rightfully so, take the media attention. And, you know, every time a new variant comes out, the fear is continuing to explode, despite the fact it took me a long time last night to look up the symptoms of Omicron. Okay, it, it, I had to go through about five or six articles talking about the lockdowns and the, all the other things before I could get to what the symptoms were. And there was a line in the symptom thing that said, dry cough, heavy fatigue, no patients have been hospitalized or died from it in our country. Okay, so what's driving this? And I'm not talking about COVID. What I'm saying is we are living in a time where depression and anxiety is on the absolute rise. Uh-huh. We are seeing our youth athletes, our youth of America with more depression and anxiety than we've ever seen. Um, I would say that probably 50 to 60% of my athletes that I see on a regular basis, I'm not talking about clients, I'm just talking about just in assessments or anything like that. I could probably diagnose with an anxiety disorder. That, that's not that they're weak. It's the fact that we have so much on our plates. The comparison models that we have against the world are on Instagram. And, you know, you look at people who, who, you know, we compare against and say, oh my God, I mean, I'm almost 50. I mean, I should, my friend's almost 50 and he's already retired and he's got multiple Mm -hmm. investments in a lake house and, 
you know, he can go, he flies private, right? See, it's never enough. And, you know, the, the great story is if you think you're rich, take your boat down to the Bahamas and you'll realize that you're nothing but a dinghy for somebody else's richness. And that's the same thing that happens in life. So we always compare ourselves. So you add that, you add the fact that COVID, because we had to, but one of the core natures of all of us as humans is social connection. They just took out of all that. We're on, right? We yeah. can connect to each other. And the, uh, someone calling for it, you know, um, and, and so you look at that. We also have uncertainty of the world right now. We don't know where things are going to go. We, if you look at the news cycle, the news just absolutely uh, profits off of our fear and insecurity. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're being played by a media conglomerate that's doing nothing more than driving views and scaring the hell out of people. Um, you know, I think most people will say if we can eliminate social media, I will say this, I think Twitter, as much as I use it, I think, um, the people at Twitter and Jack Dorsey, I think in 10 years, we're going to realize the absolute destruction of humanity that they've created because of bots. I think, you know, you look at athletes, right? Let's, let's take a young female athlete the amount of DMS that they get that are absolutely heinous and okay. disgusting that flood their DMS, right? The comments that are made, mm -hmm. um, you know, oh my God, that skirt's not short enough. You know, you really got to lose some weight and stuff. And I don't know how many of these people are real. I don't know if they're, you know, Bob 42, 26, 73. I don't know who that is. Right. Um, the fact that that's allowed on a social media platform, we're going to be able to look back in about 10 years and look at the um, destruction of our youth from a bullying model. I say all that because these are all pressures that even the tour players play yeah. with 95% of my tour players and my professional athletes across all sports. They give up their social media accounts to their managers. Mm -hmm. They don't want to look at them. They take them off of their phone and you say, well, the God, they're soft or whatever. No. Imagine being bombarded on a daily minute by minute period. Like somebody's ringing your doorbell all night long. And yep. they're standing out in your yard and they're protesting against you. That's how they interpret it. And so social media really taps into the aspects of the brain that heightens us up for threat and social connection. And so it's a absolute, um, it's a powder keg that we're living on. So I say all that, you know, the PGA tour, um, and providing athletes with support to talk about it. I think one of the greatest avenues that athletes have had in the last 20 years is the Players' Tribune, where they've been able to come out and tell their stories and share and discuss what they've done. Um, I had a conversation with Michael Phelps um, probably about within the last week. Um, we were over celebrating John's U.S. Open, and, and Michael was at the party. And we talked the entire – I didn't talk to him at all about his swimming. I talked about 100% about his mental health advocacy. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by that. And, and I'm so thankful. Uh, the most decorated Olympic athlete of all time, I would say on the Mount Rushmore of mental, of men's sports of all time, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Michael Phelps, Tiger Woods. Okay. There's a couple others, but the, the best ever yeah. is talking about his vulnerability on a mental health standpoint. That's fascinating. Yeah. We got to do that more. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Yeah. There's a lot there to unpackage and, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely more in the forefront. You mentioned Bubba; it's a um, very good book. Um, Billy Horschel, you were referring to mm -hmm. um, Matthew Wolf, who you know I had George on his coach 
about three weeks ago and you know, Matthew seems to be in a better spot. I mean, just my own being like, I've talked about on the podcast and transparency, like for me, it's, I, I struggle more from the depression side and have for probably five years, maybe six years, a little bit of anxiety, but more on the depression side. And, and, and I talk about it and have been transparent and had a lot of people reach out to me through the podcast. And the thing that helps me the most in, in dealing with it, a is being open about it first and foremost. Secondly is, um, you know, my fitness and diet is a big part of that. And third, just like really managing my own headspace as far as like, I like to be busy. A lot of the things that you talked about are like me in a nutshell, like, yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep getting better. Let's keep, you know, those types of things. Like I have more to offer. Um, but, but managing that in my own headspace and not getting too much going to be able to be the best version of myself with my family and, and friends and those types of things. So there's a, there's a, there's a balance there of like, keep getting better and pushing and being the best that you can be at what you be, but not overindulging to the point that you're so fixated in it that now you're reading these types of things that people are putting out there that then you start to kind of spiral down and be affected and you lose confidence in what you're trying to do and the insecurities rather than just look, this is who I am. This is the process that I'm going. I'm, I'm believing in the process. I have the headspace to be the best version of myself in the other areas and the fitness and the diet is all part of that for me. Because as soon as I go away from that, it's funny too, doc, how all of a sudden you can just, you can just move away from what you know is the recipe for success, right? You can be pulled over somehow. And sometimes it is social media that can just kind of pull you over. And all of a sudden you're like, man, how'd I get back over here again? Oh, yeah. And then you got to dig your way back out of it. So it's, it's, this, gotten... it's this constant cycle of finding yeah. that, that happiness, I think, and is, is what my own situation has mm-hmm. been. My wife and I got in bed last night and for an hour, we sat and watched TikToks. I was like, oh, we gotta go to sleep. <laughs> it, 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 there's an addictive aspect to it. But you, yeah. you named what's important too, right? right? Which is maintaining schedule. And a lot of us work jobs or have experiences where, we can never get away from our job. We can never get away from our phone because our phone is our walking computer. Now it used to be that, look, I'm not going to answer any calls tonight. I'm not going to go in the kitchen and sit on the phone and talk on the bar stool. I mean, you're probably too young to remember that, but you know, you had your long cord. And when, you know, when they finally came out with cordless phones, it was like, you didn't have to go stand in the phone aspect of the room. Right. Um, but you could at least separate a little bit. Yeah. And right now we live in a world where somebody sends you an email, there's a sense of urgency that it needs to be responded to right now. And even more than that, if you send me a text, I have to drop everything I'm doing to answer it. So even though that most people who sent the text or the email would say, Oh my God, take your time. But that's not how our brain processes it. So at <laughs> so 9 30 at night, we're still working. We're still answering emails. We're still sending. So now we go to bed. Right. And, you know, I think, you go to bed and all of a sudden it's like, how much sleep are you really getting? And I, and I know that whoop and aura and all these others are measuring some stuff. I'm, I'm not sure we're quite really hitting. We're, we're pushing through the surface of what we're really recovering from. And, and so now we live in a tired, exhausted state and we actually celebrate that. We, Oh my God, you know, this is a person who works, I mean, 14 hours a day. Well, that's not good. I mean, I know, as my business has grown and, and the success of my players has grown and the opportunities have grown, I have struggled to the point where I don't know how I can continue to 
maintain the, the, you know, the stuff that I do. And then I write books on top of it, which I look at myself and I'm like, I'm an idiot because I don't need to be doing that. I love to write. It's an outlet mm-hmm. for me, but my God, it takes time away. Yeah. Um, I love to go give talks for organizations, but then I have to write the presentations in between clients, but I'll average 10 to 11 hour long clients a day. And that doesn't include replies to all my tour players and all my other players and, and my responsibilities at the university of Alabama. And that's a five and a half day a week job, not including the players. So you look at that and you're like, man, what am I doing? Right? Yeah. But then the, then there's the gratitude side of, I shouldn't be unhappy with seeing the volume of clients I see. I love what I do. I, I, I get so excited when I see my players succeed or so excited when I see my players have a breakthrough in their own emotional state. Yeah, that's like the yeah. greatest, like, you know, you, you right. taught me more about me than whatever. And so that's what drives me. Yeah. And it comes at my expense. I mean, you found that diet and exercise works for you. That to me, that's the first place I sacrifice, but that doesn't contribute to my mental health very well because then I know I'm not, I'm not running at my optimum sense. I'm running down low. I'm tired. I'm worn out last night, you know, as I left Tuscaloosa, I left Alabama I left at 8.30 at night and grabbed dinner on the way home. And well, I'm not going to go into a restaurant and sit down and have salmon and rice because I don't want to take that hour that I could be home to work on the presentation that I had to get up really early to do this morning. And so what do we do? You run through a fast food agency. But people say, well, just put up boundaries. Well, it's hard, right? And Uh I think as our listeners, I know I'm not, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I know everybody's doing this. Most podcasts are listening to while they're on the treadmill or or they're running, or they're driving in their commute to work. They're not actually sitting down and absorbing it. They're doing it while they're doing something else. And so that's the world we live in. I highly encourage people to find a way in an outlet that doesn't result in them crashing and burning. Um, We all need to heed our own advice. But at the same time, we also need to understand that we only have one vessel. And that vessel's what we got for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And we can make a couple changes. We can change knees or change hips or stuff like that. But we sure as hell can't change emotional state. And we sure as hell can't change the brain. Yep. And, and it, it's critical. And so a lot of times the things that we do to cope is the worst thing that we can do for our own health. Yep. But it's all we have available to us in that moment. All right. Let's, trans, let's transition here to a, a topic here to finish up the pod. Because I know you're, you got till the top of the hour, you said? Yep. Um, this guy... This topic just happens to be the, well, he's the number one player in the world, unless Morikawa wins this week. I think he actually overtakes him. But anyway, one of the best players, uh, John Rom, who you've worked with for quite some time. Um, I'll just come at it this way. Like I did with Sam. When I look at, when I look at John Rom from my perspective, and I've never met John, um, kind of a similar situation, like with, with Sam, like his, no one even knows who his coach is back in Spain. They've been together for a long time. Um, as I understand, you know, very unique swing. Um, as he came over, played for ASU, I see, you know, a player who one of really just a handful of players that technically they have no weakness. I mean, they do, he does everything at a high level when compared to his colleagues, right. And Patrick can't in that. He does everything at a high level from a technique driver irons wedges putter he's top 20 top 25 every one of those categories so all right check we get it when, when you look at that secondly i see i see a player who's 
taken on a great deal of maturity um, over the last two years. You know, you can just, you can watch him play. You can see it out there. You can hear it in his interviews. I have become, I was always a John Rob fan, but I've become a huge John Rob fan, probably not so much for his play, but just for his perspective, his attitude, the maturity that you're seeing. I think it's been fabulous doc um, watching John Rom over the last two years. And I'll put a point on it. I think it happened. It started right after that iron. He hit out of the bunker at TPC at the players a few years ago. Like that was kind of a starting point where all of a sudden, Hey, you can just kind of see this maturity and like this, something's different with that guy. Like every, well, something's a little different. Like take us inside. There's a, deeper, there's a deeper story to that bunker shot, okay. which I think is interesting, which is um, that bunker shot was a situation where John just really never even saw the alternative. Like he, in the way, if he was playing by himself, he would have had a high draw out of that bunker. hundred mm-hmm. percent of the time. Yeah. hundred percent of the time. Like he just, and it was, so it was a learning stage. Um, I give John's an amazing kid and, and you're right. He's got, he's had coaches over in Spain for some time that he relies on and at times. Um, uh, Joseph is one of them. Who's a mental coach over there. Who's a former police officer, mom guy and done just an amazing job with John. And, and over here in the States, he's got me and he's got Dave Phillips from TPI. He's got his team that he's very invested in. He's got more this guy on, online and he'll talk about it. He said, I've got multiple coaches, multiple mental health people. And man, what a, what a great sign of maturity to do that. But he also has a strong family unit. His wife is a brilliant support for him. Um, they've matured brilliantly. He's got good people around him that, that helps him. The biggest mistake that he made was trying to temper his emotions and I was the strong advocate behind the scenes and said, we're not going to change it. It was lazy journalism when people would write about it because they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand why he was coming from that way. Um, and, you know, I think it's, uh, it was one of those things where John, John's grown up and realized that I can channel it better, but I don't need to suppress it. You know, when he first came out on tour, he was, you know, a, a raging bull of, I want to go capture every title I possibly can because I know I can. And, you know, there was probably a meltdown at Aaron Hills where he wanted to win that one so bad. Uh-huh. And it just was a learning, right? He had to learn how to be yeah. in those majors. Well, if you look at his major record, he's doing pretty good right now. He hadn't won one besides the U.S. Open, but more are coming. And it's because John has learned how to manage his time, his work. Um, you know, when we had our party the other night, Dave and I were talking and and I love Dave Phillips. He's, he's a Yoda in the game. And, um, and we both kind of laughed at each other. People were like, Oh, great job. I don't know what we do. Like, and, and I mean that out of respect, like we we're both there as guides and John relies on us, but John does it like it's not us. And John takes care of his business. He, he treats us with unbelievable respect and generosity. Yeah. That's a sign of maturity. He loves his team. He, He'll look at me sometimes. I turn, oh man, I didn't know you were coming this week. And I'm like, yeah, it takes like three times. And he's like, huh, okay. No, I don't need anything. I'm good. And he is like, yeah. it, there's no games with John. Yeah. And, you know, he loves the game. He loves the game of golf. He loves the game of golf, like wow. more than you can know. And so for him to be around the game, to immerse himself in the game, his maturity has been great. He's following a little bit of path of Rory. And mm-hmm. one of yeah. the, the people that I've really wanted him to spend some time with, and he's done that. And you know, they'll do practice rounds together, and they'll do things like that. Um, Rory is somebody who I have 
looked up to for some time. I remember seeing him my very first time out on tour as a young kid who was um, playing with Graham McDowell was one of my early clients and, and uh, you know, watching this young kid bouncing down the fairway in his own way, just coming off a U.S. Open victory. Right. And now to see the, the Rory we see today of a wise, one of the wisest men on tour whose perspectives are the way he sees it. And that's what John is. And John sees himself in that way too. And so John surrounds himself with people who, who he wants to learn from. You know, he's very close with Michael Phelps. He's very close with Larry Fitzgerald. He's very close with, you know, very strong business leaders. So he surrounds himself by people who make him better, who are more successful than he is. Mm-hmm. And he's hungry to learn and he wants to learn from us. And, 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 and I can say that about all my clients. I'm very fortunate with the clients I work with across the board, but what people see as the number one player in the world is a maturing young man. Is he emotional? Hell yeah. He's Spanish. Okay. But we don't, we don't get mad at Tom Brady for being emotional on the football field. Very true. Okay. And so we need to stop this whole, the worst advice that's ever been given in the game of golf, besides keep your head down is you need to stay calm and be like, you know, not, not think out there and be calm. Mm. That's just garbage advice. Okay. It's, I don't know why it was perpetuated. It doesn't work because you're going to spend more time trying not to be emotional than you are actually just expressing yourself in the shot that you have. And so John is finally, we've, we've got him in a spot where he's embraced that. And, and you know what? He's pretty good at it. He's pretty good yeah. at this game and there's more to come with him. Paul Azinger said it best. We we're standing at the at East Lake and he walked by and we were talking, I was talking to John and Sam and, and he looked at me and he goes, that kid's going to be public enemy number one for the next 20 years. And I said, exactly. And that's something I've told John from the very beginning, you are going to be the number one enemy in the United States for 20 years. Now, you can allow that to happen one week every two years. And people will respect it the other way. Like Ian Poulter has taken it. You know, he knows that he gets jeered, but he plays it. He doesn't take it personal. And John doesn't either. And so he yeah. is, he's seen how to surround himself with, you know, like I, I'll tell this great story of Ian. Um, I, I'm a very, very behind the scenes fan of Ian Poulter. And I've been around him from the very beginning. I don't work with him at all. And right. we've had some great conversations. He probably wouldn't know my name, um, but he, he knows who I am. Like he brought, Oh, Hey, but couldn't tell you my name to save his life. But some of the conversations I've had with Ian have just been absolutely incredible. But we were at Beth page for the PGA championship and we were doing a practice round and it was Ian and Henrik. And I think Graham was going to play and maybe a couple others. And maybe, I think it was maybe Duffner or something like that. And the fans were like, oh, you know, jeering and all that. And so Ian goes up and sits in the stands because we had to wait, sits in the stands with the fans and starts jeering at Henrik Stinson. <laughs> and so then when it comes time to get ready to hit his, I mean, he was fully immersed and he gets ready. He goes, get ready, boys. It's coming when we come here. In other words, he understands who he is as the yep. heel, but it's a sign of respect. John's learning that too. Yeah. Is that people jeer him because they fear him. It's right. not because he's a jerk. It's not because I've watched John take it personally on the golf course during a practice round when people are standing there with a stack of photos and asking him to sign them. Um, and as he says, no, I'm not going to sign anything on the course because there's a sign that says we're not going to do autographs on the course. And people yell and scream at him. And he takes it personally because John would sign every autograph of every person sitting after that round, yeah. sitting by the clubhouse. He, and if it's a young kid, he's all about it. Right. It's hard. It, it, these players, it's hard for these players when you got these brokers out there getting things signed and then they're yelling and screaming at him and getting the crowd that doesn't understand what's going on. John, he cares about that. 
Yeah. Because it's not that he wants to be liked by people. He doesn't want to disappoint people. And so that just speaks to the character of that man. And it's just going to be really cool to see where he goes and what he does in the game. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of great players jockeying for number one in the world. And so you're going to see some ups and downs that happen. It's funny. You said Rory, because that's where I was going. I I think he's, you can see that, that he's kind of following that path. And if he keeps doing that, he's not going to be, he's not going to, there's not going to be too many things being thrown his way because I'd say Rory's pretty beloved in this country. Um, You know, I mean, I'm sure he gets it a little bit, but you know, Rory's, how how can you not love Rory McIlroy? Like, I mean, it's like, is that even, is that even possible? I mean, the guy is so thoughtful and, and, well, I love the just fact after Dubai, incredibly to watch play the game. And to me, Rom going that yeah. way, he's got the game. Now he's following the, I, I can hear it. And I, it's funny you say that. Cause I can hear the words. It's like, that's something Rory would kind of say, you know, yeah. I mean, and well, he's so thoughtful and, and I'm like, man, okay. Yeah. You this- know, when, when you watch athletes study people from other competitive environments and they're willing to listen and learn and they're willing to soak up information. Yeah. You see growth. I love the fact that Rory tore a shirt in Dubai. Okay. And people are like, Oh, that's a bad sign for the game. Whatever is you're, you know, breaking your, you know, is you're hitting your bag after you hit a bad shot or dropping the F bomb out on the golf course. Look, it's an emotional game. It's a competitive game, right? That's what we do. Um, you know, I, I, it just sucks that he's under a microscope to have to do that. And now every time he goes somewhere, they're going to ask him questions about it. Um, and I don't blame him for being frustrated about that. It's like, move on, let it go. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I see players, I see John, I see him understanding how to continue to improve, train, prepare himself for events. Um, and that's what you see. John is not one of those men that will show up and try to get quickly prepared. He's prepared before he ever arrives on site. That's a sign of maturity. Yeah. Good stuff, Doc. Thank you, sir. Man, I know you got... Uh... You've got an appointment, I'm um, sure, with Sam Burns as he gets ready to go here. <laughs> no, but he's good. Nah, he's, he's, he's good. He's ready to play. I'm sure he's already um, on the course. But We'll do it again, man. Happy yes, holidays. Um, we'll, uh, I appreciate all the time. We could talk forever. I do want to say uh, your book, Break Free from Suckville, if you're listening, go Google it. Get it. It's a book from Dr. McCabe. It's, uh, it's a good one. We didn't get to it this time. That. We'll do it next time. Go, go check it out time. on Google. You got it. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control and distance encore recently added the vero x1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls one that already included the golf digest gold rated elixir and low compression avant 55 through its full suite of golf balls encore can help transform any golfer's game visit encoregolf.com backslash travis fulton for more info about encore and start revolutionizing your game now back to the stripe show podcast 